Guys, we are um, accomplishing a momentous task today. It is the last week of March, and we are officially ending our study of Acts chapter 1, okay? So, if you do the math, this is now a seven-year series, all right? <laughs> Woo! Through the book of Acts, all right? Uh, and so, yeah, we, it took us one quarter to get through chapter 1, uh, but I just kind of want to wrap up chapter 1 today. And uh, what I want to do is just revisit what we've talked about and actually go all the way back to the beginning of the year and just kind of recalibrate us uh, as we get ready for next quarter, next month, uh, and the rest of the year, what God might have in store for us, both as individuals and as a, a collective church. And um, over the last few weeks, what we've been doing in our study uh, is talking about what it looks like to be positioned for power. And power both individually, and uh, when power happens individually in our lives, we tend to call that sanctification or transformation or spiritual growth. Uh, And then also power corporately, and we tend to use words like uh, movement or revival uh, when we talk about collective or corporate um, positioning for power. And, And so we've been talking about that over the last couple of weeks, and we first talked about what it looks like to be in the right place. And we had five weeks uh, of what it means to be in the right place. You can revisit those uh, if you missed. And then we talked about what it looks like to be uh, the right type of people. And, and so that was a two-week little series. We, we just got done with that last week. And today I just want to talk about the right practices. Uh, and so uh, in all of it, it's the right people in the right place doing the right practices. And when we do that, then we are positioned to enter into Acts chapter 2. We are positioned uh, for the presence of God to break in. We're positioned for the presence of God to break out. And so uh, that's what we've been doing. And and we'll wrap it up this morning by talking about five practices that we see the early church consistently practice. And and the church has been practicing these now for 2,000 or so years. And these five practices uh, we actually laid out at the beginning of the year uh, on our very first Sunday, our intro into the book of Acts, and we actually put them on a little card. Uh, And so if you didn't get one of these earlier in the year, you can grab one of these on your way out today. And these are five practices of the Christian life that help position us for power. Now, I want to make a distinction before I get into the five. And what I want to do is I want to talk about the five practices, and then I want to talk about five motives that actually prohibit these practices from really breaking out into our lives, or at least the power from breaking out. Uh, Said another way, we can be practicing all five of these things, but there can be motives that almost serve as a a blockage from allowing those practices to move through us and to move out either into personal or or corporate transformation and movement. And so we're going to kind of lay out these five practices. But before we do that, here's the confusion that I think sometimes happens in the Christian life. And that is that we begin to think that these five practices are the evidence of spiritual maturity. And so if I ask you, hey, how's your, how's your Christian life doing, right? Kind of a weird question, but how's your walk with God doing? Or how are you doing spiritually? Oftentimes, what happens is people will respond to that question, and they'll respond uh, talking about the practices and not the power. How are you doing spiritually? Oh, good, man. I'm reading my Bible consistently. I mean, I just joined a life group. Uh, I, I'm in this Bible study. Uh, it's, it's like, it's BSF. It's really de- in, in depth. Uh, I've been showing up to church way more frequently. None of that, none of that is a proper answer to the question, how are you doing spiritually? Those are questions 
Those are answers that are supposed to be practices that then trigger or catalyze the spiritual growth. And so this morning, what I want to do is make sure that we don't, that we don't, or that we properly differentiate between, um, uh, in, in one way of saying it, the, the, the means and the ends, right? That we differentiate between the practices that produce the spiritual growth, but aren't necessarily the spiritual growth themselves. Let me say this more bluntly. You might get to judgment day once. You will. Actually, let me not say if. You will. Okay. And in that moment, you could look at the Father and say, hey, I want you to know, I read every day. I memorized a lot of the Bible. I studied it intensely. I discussed it with friends in a life group, and I showed up to church every single Sunday, and the Father could look back and say, but I don't even know you. I don't even know you. So, Let's talk about what these five practices are. That way we can talk about what they can produce. I actually just went through them. That was a little cheat sheet. Number one, uh, first is this. Actually, let me, before I do that, set it up in a slightly different way that I'll revisit it. Uh, if you've ever done any athletic competition or played any sports, you know that there's a lot of training that goes on in that. And for me, my uh, sport of choice growing up was football. And I was, uh, this was before I was a Christian. I was a Michigan fan. And I was watching a game one day. It's one of those jokes that you just slip in there, see if people notice. And so um, I was watching, I was watching uh, a game, and this was uh, back when uh, Woodson was playing, and he made this catch on the sideline. I believe it was against Michigan State where he jumped up, made this one-handed catch. It was beautiful interception. Uh, ended up being like part of his highlight reel for the Heisman Trophy that year. And I remember watching that catch going, wow, like what a moment. Like I want to be able to do that someday. And so I'm going to train. And, and I made my dad throw me passes out in the front yard every single day day from the age of like eight to like 13. Like he can barely do this right now. Okay. As a result of that. And then I started working out and I did these jump shoes. I did a lot of jump rope because I wanted to be able to do that. And so I just consistently and always was just training, 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 training so I can make that catch someday. Now, if you've uh, ever been caught up in training, something can happen in the midst of your training where all of a sudden you can forget about the athletic endeavor that you were actually training for and you get more consumed in the training itself. These practices are the training. They're the positioning of your heart before the one who made you so that you might be ready then to act this book would not be nearly as exciting if it ended in chapter one. It is exciting because of everything that happens in chapters two through chapters 28. It would also not be as exciting if it was called the reflections of the apostles. Sounds intellectual. Sounds nice. It's powerful because it is called the acts of the apostles. Let's look at practice number one. Practice number one is read. Read. As in like read. The Bible. And in uh, Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 32, there's this verse that says this, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I'm just going to pull out a couple of verses that show uh, the, the, these practices happening uh, throughout the, the book of Acts. And there's many other examples throughout the rest of the New Testament. In this first one, Paul's leaving and he says, let me leave you with the word of God's grace, 
with the, the word of God, the scriptures, which for them at that time uh, was the, the Old Testament. And then also some of these letters were beginning to circulate at that, uh, at that point in time. And so I was like, read the letters and, and be encouraged by the word of God's grace. Now, this is just one verse of many where the Bible talks about itself. In Hebrews 4.12, it says the word of God is living and active. That's why we say it's as relevant today as the day that it was written, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing uh, to the soul. There's another verse where Jesus is talking and he makes a comparison. He says, hey, as your body needs food, your soul needs the scriptures. And there's all these verses that talk about the the essential nature of the scriptures uh, to our spiritual health and vitality. But the point not being that reading the word of God, right, by by simply reading it means that you have accomplished spiritual maturity. About a year ago, we... um, called in a couple people from the church, kind of like a little study group, and we were asking the question of how did, um, and these were people that we just kind of identified as spiritual uh, mature, we think in all of the right ways. And we said, what helped you grow spiritually? And here's what we noticed. And I'll say it this way. Not everyone who reads their Bible is spiritually mature, but it tends to be that those who are spiritually mature have a very consistent practice of engaging with the scriptures. In what way? Reading them simply reading them. Reading them and allowing the scriptures then, uh, like it says in Hebrews, to cut to the heart to, or to build us up, as it says in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, uh, to uh, teach us and to instruct us, to train us up in righteousness. Just this daily practice or this consistent practice of reading the scriptures. Now, what we said at the beginning of the year was that this was going to be one of our practices. And the way we were going to do it is we were just going to read through the book of Acts every single month. There's 28 chapters. There's at least 28 days in every month, right? And we're just going to read through it, read through it, read through it. And some of you, you've been doing that with us. Others of you, you haven't. That's why it's great that this is a monthly thing. You can just start on April 1st. I think that's Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, and then you're just back in rhythm with us or you're, uh, you know, starting for the very first time. Now, some of you are like, okay, I don't know if I can do it again. Like I've read through it and you're kind of like, it's like having the same meal over and over. Well, let me tell you, Acts is like chips and salsa. You can eat it every day as much as you want, and it never grows old, okay? And you just keep going. Or if you really do need guac instead of salsa, read the book of Luke, okay, Uh, which is like the prequel to the book of Acts, and then just read that through April, and then hop back in with us in May as we continue to go through Acts. But it's just this daily habit of reading the Scriptures, We see it right here, and we see it all over the scriptures, the encouragement that we're given. Now, secondly, uh, the second practice that we talked to was like uh, almost taking it a step further. Uh, Here's a verse that I think kind of helps us understand that. This verse is found in Acts chapter 18, and there's this guy named Apollos, and I think he's a, a fascinating guy, because what is said of him, I want to be said of me. And all of us, by the way. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. Competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. That last line, he knew only the baptism of John. That'll be a really fun sermon in about six years, okay? This is Acts chapter 18. And so, uh, but in this, he says he is labeled as a man competent in the scriptures. 
competent. I will say this, much of what we do around here as a church, and one of our stated values is we believe the Bible, uh, is to help all of us, uh, no matter how old we are, but uh, of course, starting with our, our kids, this is why we do Wednesday night church, is to grow up and to be competent in the scriptures. Now, if you're familiar with uh, Jewish study at all, uh, right, the way that they grew competent in the scriptures was through memorization. And in Psalms, it says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's something about memorizing things, um, two things about memorizing. One, when we really memorize something, like really, really own it, uh, it just sticks in our minds for uh, a long time, uh, right? 3.141592653598793238462641939169. That's pi to like 40 digits. Why? Because I memorized it when I was a kid, right? I was a junior in high school. I had a really good chemistry partner. He did the homework. I memorized pi, right? Very good arrangement. And it still comes out. Why? Because I memorized it as a kid. Most of us can recite our, 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 our phone numbers, right, when we were children, right? Because we memorized them. We took it in. And when we begin to memorize the Word of God, like, it just, it sticks with us. But what's the point of that? The point is that, that when we need it, it then comes out. And so, I... One example of that, when I wake up in the morning, and you ever had those mornings where you wake up? We have a, a practical term for this. We woke up on the wrong side of the bed, but the spiritual thing that's going on there is that's typically a bit of spiritual warfare when you wake up and you just know this day just feels dark. I'm not excited about it. I'm not looking forward to it. And whenever that happens, I quote to myself, 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so I just quote that verse and say, Satan, you're not taking this day. You're not going to cloud darkness over this day. You're not going to make me want to stay here in this bed and not get up and go do everything that I need to do. You're not going to make me start thinking those negative thoughts about what I have going on or who I'm doing life with. And so I quote that verse so that I can cut through that darkness and start the day off right. And when we begin to memorize Scripture, then we have that tool, we have that weapon that we can begin to use. We're reminded later that the Holy Spirit will bring that stuff to memory when we need it. And so when we're counseling somebody or when we have our own little experience or when we're having a conversation uh, and there's warning signs on the other side of the conversation, you know what the Holy Spirit does? He begins to bring back to memory all of these verses that you had memorized and that you had sunken into your heart. And so we just said, hey, why don't we just memorize a verse of each uh, that like moves along with our series. And so we started with Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so when I quote that one every day, I'm just reminded like I have power because the Holy Spirit already came. That verse was in the past and it's present right now in my life. I've been called to a worldwide mission of bringing the gospel to the world, right? Like, like how small is my picture sometimes? And so we, we're memorize these verses and we recite them and it like expands our minds and our hearts again on what we're doing and what this relationship with Christ looks like. And so we read the scriptures, but we want to grow competent in the scriptures. And I love that it says that this guy was competent in the scriptures, but he was also fervent in spirit because somewhere along the way, it seems like competency in the scriptures meant like grumpy. Like, yeah, he knows his Bible, but kind of grumpy. 
Or, or like the idea of like pursuit of the knowledge of Scripture, uh, like carried with it like this relate, uh, this weight of religiosity, right? Now, this guy, he was competent, but he was also fervent. He was excited about it. He was engaged in it. It's like, man, look at these verses. Like, look at these weapons that I have. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Psalm 119, 1, I, I speak that one over my life all the time. Like, like, God, I don't know where the joy went, but I'm going to follow and be obedient, and I know joy will come because joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. There was an eagerness, there was a fervency in his understanding in, uh, of the scriptures, right? He was competent in them, and he was fervent about it. And so read, and then to memorize. Number three, a uh, habit we said is that we're, we're, we're going to study the scriptures. And I will make a little bit of a distinction between reading and studying the scriptures. I think we see that distinction in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. I like that line. He's like, we like these ones better than those ones, Okay. I lost my verse. Now, the, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. It's like every day they woke up and they're like, oh man, I get to go back into it. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep reading it. Like, it's a really big book. There's a lot of different words. There's a lot of different ideas. There's a lot of different themes. And there was just this eagerness of expectation as they went into it every single day. And we're good at doing things every single day. Most of you are good at brushing your teeth every single day. I rarely get to a moment in a day when, like, my wife has to look at me and go, Stephen, have you been eating? Like, did you eat today? I never go three days without somebody looking up and being like, Stephen, I think you really need to eat today. I'm really good at doing it every single day, multiple times a day, as the body needs food, the soul needs the scriptures, the word of God. And so they just woke up and they examined it every day and they examined it with like an eagerness. And I think this idea of examine in here, it was like a study right? Now, one way we do this around here is we just help you in this uh, by sending out an email called The Daily Dig. You can sign up online for it uh, at experienceredemption.com, and it'll come right to your inbox, but it's just a more in-depth study of what we talked about on Sunday. Uh, but there's lots of ways to do this. You can get a commentary, uh, get one that, uh, of somebody who has good doctrine, right? Uh, you can get just a study Bible to read along, and what it does is it begins to just take the ideas, and it helps to uh, extrapolate a little bit on them so that you begin to understand the Scripture's deeper. Now, by the way, I'm not just talking to like um, the, the scholars in the room or the A students. No, this is like, this is the practices, or these are the practices of the faith. These are the practices for all who would, who would claim Christ, right? Because it's positioning ourselves to, to engage in the presence of the Lord, and so it's a, uh, it's a, it's a reading, it's a memorizing. By the way, you see how all of this revolves around the Word of God? just revolves around the Word of God. So we're going to read it, and then we're going to memorize it, right? Then we're going to study it, and then number four, we're going to discuss it. And I think we see that in the same verse, because everything that was going on there was plural, right? And so it's like they examine the Scriptures daily, right? There's like this idea of like they're, okay, what do you think, and what do you think, and what do you think? And, uh, and there's formal ways to do that through Bible studies and, and life groups, and we can get you into those. There's informal ways to do it, just with like uh, somebody that you live with, or someone that you're married to, or just a friend, where you're like, 
we're going to just talk about what's going on in the scriptures uh, because as we talk about them, then we, we like learn from each other and you have a perspective and he has a perspective and she has a perspective and like you, you begin to learn in that. Now, let me say for a second though um, that not all perspectives are valid. Okay, let me just say that for a second. I love this line. This is what this verse means to me. That's cute, but it's wrong. There aren't like multiple meanings to, to most of Scripture, okay? And so one thing that's really important is just because somebody said, this, this is what this verse means to me, is to make sure that that's actually what the verse means, Okay? Otherwise, I can, you can get off track. There can be different application, okay? You might say, this is how I'm going to apply this verse. This is how I'm going to apply this verse, okay? But one person, oh, this verse means this, this verse, well, no, let's, what does it actually mean, okay? Now, that idea also has been abused in some regard, hear me out, where people have said, see, that's why normal, regular people shouldn't study the scriptures. They're going to go doctrinally off track, okay? Well, we do have a Holy Spirit, Okay, we have a Holy Spirit, uh, and then we have some guardrails that we can put up, uh, and then we can have conversations with people uh, to, to just make sure we realign that, okay? Uh, and by the way, if you are in a life group around here, just so you know, like the one thing we tell all of our life group leaders, like what is your job? It's not necessarily to teach, but you are like the heresy police, okay? And, and what that means is like in a group, if something surfaces, it is your job at some point to go, whoa, uh, hold on. Like, I don't want to like hurt your feelings right now, but that's wrong. That, that's, not, that's not a correct understanding of the scriptures, okay? Um, because it's important that we hold on to sound doctrine. Okay, but then, so discussing the scriptures, uh, and when you have a good group of people that you do that with, man, there's something so enlightening about it. There's, there's something so, uh, uh, like, like it just stirs some new things in you. So we said we're going to discuss the scriptures. And the fifth thing we said, uh, and I believe the verse here was Acts, let me look, Acts, I think it's 1032. There's, there's 20 of them that I could have picked. Acts 1042, excuse me. Acts 1042 says this, this is number five. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one who appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. What is it saying there? He said, preach and preach about what? Preach about Jesus preach and preach about Jesus. And so we said the fifth thing we were going to do uh, is that we were going to, to listen. We're just going to listen to the word of God preached. Now, this is where I come in, right? Uh, my role in here to step in here, uh, by the way, uh, and, and, and then just to preach the word of God. And so it's my job on Sundays to get up here and to preach. And uh, if you've been hanging around here for a while, like I preach 50 weeks a year out of the 52 or so. Uh, and why? And it's like, because that's my job. Like this, this is my role uh, in this church and in our congregation. And it's my job and just so, you know, I look at Sunday morning as like my opportunity for to disciple um, everybody, whether they're the seeker or the scholar, right? Like whether they've been around for a little or, or a lot. Like this is not like a segmented thing. Like, okay, I'm just preaching. And Sunday morning is really just about this group or just about that. No, it's about everybody, right? And then and I just have to humble and ask God, like if I, if I just preach the scriptures and if the Holy Spirit's present, then it can hit the spectrum, Right? To preach the word of God. Now, by the way, here's what's interesting. Out of these five practices that we see in the book of Acts, the, the church can facilitate all five of them. Right? But in reality, four of them, 80% of them, are really more about what you're doing than what the church is doing. Isn't that interesting? 
Really, only one out of five is really just what the church is doing. Now, it is very important that in the one-fifth of that, okay, that we take it very seriously and that I, I, I give it the best I can, right? And a, a healthy spiritual diet uh, is, is, is not apart from that, right? But even in that, then four-fifths of these practices that we see in the Scripture are really about how you move then from this one, okay? Or how you move out of this one into the other four, and this is when, when we get to work together. This is when we work together as a church community. And so these five practices are the five practices that we see in the book of Acts and what we see throughout the New Testament, really what we see throughout the early church and through the church over the last 2,000 years. And what are these five practices supposed to do? They're supposed to position us for movement to occur. As I hit on earlier, all five of these practices can be present in our life. Please listen to this. All five of these practices can be present in our life and spiritual growth and maturity not be. In other words, it is very possible to position yourself here every single week and listen to me talk. It's very possible that you can read your scripture on a daily basis, that you can do all of these, but those practices not lead to spiritual growth, or as we've been talking about, positioning for power and leading to either personal purity or corporate movement. What happens if I can use like a physical description, it's like the practices are happening right here and all five of those practices can be going on. But then it's like there's a wall right here and I'm going to call that wall the wall of false motives. And that wall can be right here or impure motives. They're right here. And what they do is when the practice happens, they return it back to sender. Like throwing a ball against the garage comes right back to you, comes right back to you, comes right back to you. And so I can preach my heart out. Bounces right back, bounces right back. You can read your Bible every day. You can get in the daily dig. You can be the most spiritually mature person. And when you begin to think that it is those practices that indicate spiritual maturity, what it can also do is puff us up to becoming incredibly prideful and arrogant. Who are you to tell me that I'm not spiritually mature? I go to church every week. I have a daily devotional. Right? I study the word of God. I know Greek words. My Bible is bigger than yours. But it never breaks through the wall. Never breaks through the wall. And so all of it, all of those practices, what do they do? They just bounce in off. You know what's so tragic? The bouncers, they usually don't know it. They're so caught up in their self-righteousness now. And they think they're so mature because of their checklist and the five. They, oftentimes these people will get to a place and the level of spiritual growth from the moment the bouncing happens to the moment they're done is like nothing. They might grow in knowledge. They might grow more consistent. But they don't become more like Christ. I'm going to say it another way. I don't care if you're here every Sunday. If you're still a prideful jerk. I don't care if you read your Bible every day. But you can't discern the spirit. 
and how you talk to people. And care if you study, but you're still just as selfish as you were two years ago. These practices are to soften the heart so that the gospel might break in, strip away our selfishness, force us to swallow our pride, and make us look more like Jesus on the other side. These five, pra- er, these five motives, I want to give you five motives here. I'm going to give them to you relatively quickly because I think the Holy Spirit can do his part in this. Motive number one, fear. And so we read through the book of Acts. We're like, that's incredible. Look at this stuff. We're going to see such incredible stories over the next 27 chapters. We're going to look at it, and there's going to be moments where you need to go, that is awesome. I want to see that. That is incredible. And it's going to go, woo! But what might that cost me? What might God ask of me? Return to sender. Fear. Another one would be pride. You sing worthy, worthy of it all. Where you look at the verses where you just see in the stories and acts the incredible power of God and he's moving and, uh, and it should just humble us and, and we think, oh, that's so humbling. And then it gets over to here, but we go, ah, but I don't need all that stuff. I don't, I don't need like the emotion of faith. I don't... I, I don't need to like step out of my comfort zone. I, I think I've got it all figured out. I'm pretty put together. Like I, I've got it all. Like I don't want to move. Like I'm just not going to let it move me. Right? Not me. I'm not that type. Return to center. Fear. Pride. Next one is just priority. Priority. And whereas once like this pursuit of Christ, this gospel in your life took, took top place. Or said another way, it was the bottom, the foundation of everything. One author says, a radical reorientation of your loves where it was chief priority. All of a sudden, it's just, eh. No, it's in my rhythm. I have it down. I do the things. I have the practices. I don't need the growth. As long as I keep doing the practices, I'm like, I'm good. But I don't want to prioritize it actually breaking through and changing anything. I kind of like it the way it is. Number three, that's priority. Number four, false loves. And so it's easy to listen on Sunday and to be moved in spirit but what happens then is the false love motive bounces it right back because it says, hold on, don't be moved by that scripture because it means you're going to have to change your love for this. Send it back. Send it back. Oh, if you, if you let that one break through, if you let it slip through the cracks, then your, your false love, whatever it might be, just the worldly passions, right? Just the love of the world, the love of the world stuff, the love of everything. Don't let it slip through because it's going to cause you to have to change. Send it back. Number five, just passivity. Passivity. Yeah, yeah are discussing in a life group and it's like, wow, and this, and what if we did that? And what if the church looked like this? And what if, what? And then it comes through and then you go, eh. 
All right, but that would take a lot of work. I would have to change my habits. I'd have to care a little bit more. And so we just grow passive in it. Some of us have just kind of settled into this one, right? Like, no, I'm spiritually mature. How are you doing spiritually? We're reading. We're going to group. We show up a lot. Doing pretty good. When was the last time it broke through? When was the last time it just, like, like you just gazed at the cross because the only thing that disrupts or tears down this wall is when the gospel, we just gaze at the gospel again and we just, we're like awestruck again by the cross. We see him on it. There up there for me. Me now white as snow, washed all sin away. Him taking it on upon himself. Just like gazing at the beauty of the gospel and, and his blood poured out. Grace becoming amazing again because I know I don't deserve it, but yet he, he poured it out anyway. And it's like gazing at the cross and having these moments with Jesus where this whole sermon series started again when the disciples had one of those moments with Jesus that just left them awestruck. And even they in that moment, like some of those motives were there because they just stood there looking and the angel said, whoa, whoa, guys, this moment was not supposed to stop. It was supposed to break through. The moment isn't about the feeling that you're getting right now. The moment is about the movement that can produce if you'll let it tear down the walls of false motives, let the Spirit change something inside of here, and then begin to move out. Because this is not about the practices. It's about what the practices produce. So there I am, junior year of high school. We're in Hicksville, Ohio, of all places. It's a real place. Week four of the season, the coach called my favorite route. I'm the inside slot guy. So actually this foot was up. I'm in the inside slot guy. These guys are out there. They run in routes to distract. I swoop around, run up the sideline. I'm sprinting down the sideline. I pass the guy who's guarding me. All the quarterback has to do is throw it long enough, right? And I'll catch it. We'll score. It'll be great. And I'm sprinting down and he underthrows it. So I got to stop my route, try to readjust. And now the cornerback who I had run past is behind me and better position to catch the ball. And so he's about to catch the ball. And I'm like, well, this is the only thing I can do is run back and jump over this guy. Okay, he's probably 6'9", okay? He's <laughs> 5'7", right. But run up, jump over him, right? Put my arms down like that and scoop the ball up, catch it, and fall to the ground. I hope that guy remembers it as well as I do. I owned you, bro, right? And, and, and it was even one of those moments where the other team's fans were like, ooh, right? And I fall down to the ground with the catch. It's like the catch I still remember to this day. And I'm thinking there's been like 12 years or 10 years or whatever of like training for that moment. And had I not worked out and had I not woken up early and done the job, jump rope and done the jumping shoes and done all of the drills and learned how to adjust my route and uh, have all of that ready, then in that moment, I would have just run up and just ran into him or jumped up and hit his helmet. 
But in the moment, I was positioned because of the practices to make the catch. Listen, the stakes are so much higher. And when you position yourself daily, reading, memorizing, studying, discussing, listening on a weekly basis, it's not just about you training because it feels good to train. There is going to be a moment when there is a marriage falling apart and you are the friend with the word of wisdom to save it. There is going to be a moment when your story and the confidence to speak it is going to bring somebody into the faith. There is going to be a moment when you have the means to take care of the need. There's going to be a moment when you show up in the dark place, but light is flooding in behind you. There is going to be a moment when you show up and your words of encouragement, your powerful prayer sends the darkness fleeing and the captive free. And I want you to be ready for it. So position yourself for the sake of the world. For the peace that you can have in your darkest moment because you're ready for it. Position yourself. That's why we read. Not to check off a box. That's why we memorize. That's why we study, discuss, and listen. And as a church, friends, this is why we're all doing it. Because if the moments can be big individually, I'll imagine how good they can be corporately. If we're all positioning ourselves and there will be a moment, I believe when there will be many who will need it and we will be perfectly positioned to hop over the enemy grab the ball and see God win. That's why we're doing all of this. If you want, you can grab one of these on the way out. You can get the cards if you want to start memorizing. Start reading whatever and position yourself for power. Let's pray. Father, I believe some of the most powerful moments that we are going to experience as a church and some of the most powerful moments that my friends here are going to experience in their spiritual lives are going to come on the other side of one of these motives crushed today. So my friend, this morning, I want to remind you of the beauty of the cross, the power of the gospel, the beauty of Christ exchanged for us. And I want to ask that you would let it right now crush your fear. We have not been given a spirit of fear. Be gone. 
I want to ask right now that you would let it crush your pride. To consider others more important than yourself, to humble yourself as you look at the one who is worthy of it all. Would you let it reorient your priorities? What you've been chasing and pursuing. Let it break through and radically reorient them. Would you let it crucify the sinful nature that still wants its way? The love of the world passion of the flesh. Father, would you make us holy as Christ was holy? We cannot love God and man. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. May we only love you and your kingdom. Father, would you crush our passivity? Wake us up. Let me speak this. You have no idea what your positioning will produce in the future. You have no idea in what moment it will be needed. But when we are faithful to position, He will provide the opportunities.
Father. Break through whatever needs broken through. Oh, the flood of your spirit. Just pushing out every false motive. Replacing it. all that is good. Here we are, Father. Each one of us and then each of us together. Certainly not perfect, but so desirous to be positioned whatever you would call us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.